Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. What's up, everybody? This is Helen from Helen's Wines, which is a gem box little wine shop that's located in Los Angeles. We have two locations if you're here in person, one on Fairfax, one in Los Angeles, both conveniently located inside of a restaurant called John and Vinny's. Spicy Fusilli like, what? Anyway, this is my podcast, Wine Face, where we are breaking down the ins and outs of wine into digestible, snackable, little snack bites, bagel bites. I don't know. I was obsessed with those commercials as a kid to teach you a little bit about wine and make it a little bit more accessible. Maybe you are passionate about food and wine. That's why we are finding each other here. Maybe you just want to impress your friends. Either way, I am here for you. You can find me in person at Helen's Wines in LA. Otherwise, you can find me online, helenswines.com. You can join our wine club. We ship it nationally. Or follow along the story, the wine trail on Instagram at helenswines. And a wild ride it is. Wine, my dog Fletch, all kinds of shit. Anyway, today we are talking about a very serene, beautiful part of Italy. Maybe it's back to the basics winter for me. I don't know. I was just feeling like there are some pretty basic things, pretty basic varietals that are basic in my mind, but actually not basic to a lot of people out there who want to know more about wine, want the 411 without all of the pomp and circumstance. So we're talking about Tuscany, aka Toscana, Tuscany dreamy, dreamy, dreamy Tuscany. We got rolling hills. We got all the cypress trees. We got all the stone castles. We got those endlessly sun-kissed vineyard strewn hills. I mean, Tuscany, where everybody wants to go on their honeymoon, right? Tuscany, Tuscany, Tuscany. It's one of probably the most famous winemaking regions in Italy. It's located on the western coast of Italy. And they've been making wine since back in the day, since the 8th century BC, which is crazy pants. Long time, people started making wine there. And then later on, the Romans came in and 
kept perfecting the method, but their vine planting runs deep in Tuscany, the history. And it's a pretty dreamy place. It's a uniquely located coastal region known as the Terhenian Coast. I feel like I'm in Game of Thrones. Terhenian Coast, where the Tuscanagalites came on their dragons. Okay. Terhenian Coast, which is named after the Terhenian Sea, which gets its name from way back in the day, one dude who was with the Erudites. Anyway, this is not a history podcast, so I'm not going to go too deep into that. But Terhenian Sea, which kind of creates this like cozy corner nook. It's protected by sort of like a little sea that's formed by Sardinia and Corsica and Sicily. And so those are the outer little islands. And then inside's the Trahenian Sea. And then there's the coast of Tuscany. And let me tell you, Tuscany, la la la, it's most famous for these three regions. Or these are the three regions I care about that it's most famous for. Chianti, Brunello di Montalcino, and Vino Nobile di Montepulciano. All right. So those are the three areas that are probably the most famous, most well-known. And listen, straight up, when you think Tuscany, the thing you got to remember is Sangiovese is queen. Okay. There are most wines are like 70%, 80% Sangiovese. Obviously there's some exceptions, which we're going to get into, but Queen Bee is Sangiovese. Tuscany is synonymous with Sangiovese. That's the grape varietal. It's most prominently grown there. Other places are growing Sangiovese. I mean, some people are growing really cool Sangiovese in California, actually. Um, a few other places in Europe, it also has a few other names, which we'll get into in a moment. But Tuscany is really the breeding ground for some of the dopest Sangioveses. And listen, I am partners in an Italian restaurant. Sangiovese is crucial to the red sauce experience. You got to have it and you got to find the gems because there's a bunch of crap out there that's overly oaked. And it's also a newly regulated area. So there's a lot of shady shit going down in Tuscany for a long time where questionable quality of the wines, excessive use of new oak, overproduction, under delivery. What we're doing today is excavating the Jamilio Estevez of Tuscany, those Sangiovese queen bees. Anyway, but when I think of Tuscany, I think of three grapes that really stand out to me. I think of Sangiovese, I think of another red varietal called Caneolo, and then I think of Malvasia, okay, and also maybe Trebbiano. Okay, so that's four grapes, but Malvasia, which is indigenous to the area, which is a white wine grape. There's other local indigenous varietals that I also think of, like Colorino, Mamolo, for white wine, Vernaccia, and I said Trebbiano earlier. When I said three, I totally meant four. But there's also many, quote-unquote, international varietals. So varietals that are more popular or more famous or were brought over from international lands like France, like Cabernet Sauvignon, which was actually planted in Tuscany like 250 or 300 years ago, some cray cray shit like that, but also Chardonnay, Merlot, Pinot Noir, and Syrah. Now, in all of Tuscany, there are 41 recognized DOC and 11 DOCG. 
plus super Tuscans. Now you're like, what are the DOC? What the hell is she talking about? All right, so let's break it down. So just like in France, there is the AOC system, the system that controls like the wine laws, the agricultural laws. They have the same thing in Italy. It just was put into place a little bit later than France. The first level was the Denominazione di Origine Controllata, aka the DOC, which came into play in a 1963. Fact checked it. It's 1963. Okay. So there's that. That's the DOC. And that was like, okay, we are controlling and regulating that like, yes, we can guarantee that this wine is from this area. But then it steps up a notch with the DOCG. Now, let me just back up for a second. There are some steps below the DOC. There's Vino di Tavola, which is like bottom of the barrel. And then there's IGT, which we'll get into momentarily. Indicazione Grafica Tipica, I think it's that. Anyway, you know what? I don't know it all, guys. I don't know it all. Anyway, the DOCG is one step above the DOC and it adds denominazione di origine controllata garantita, <laughs> aka garantita. <laughs> I'm sorry, my Italian's terrible. Garantita guarantees quality. So it's guaranteeing quality at a higher level, which usually means that by law, there's more controls on like how many grapes a grower can produce and how high the alcohol is and how long the wine has to age before it can be released. So these are all the like, quote unquote, wine laws that are put into play. Then probably outside of like a DOC and a DOCG for Tuscany, the other category of wine that is very famous and, you know, we get questions about it all the time are super Tuscans. They're wines that are made outside of the DOC, DOCG rules. So it's either outside of the area or they are not following some of the laws like what's blended in, what grapes are blended in. Because each area has those rules, like it must be X percentage of Sangiovese or you cannot be Chianti. So Super Tuscans are made outside of those laws, but Super Tuscans are considered very high quality and can command a super high price and are usually super culty. And the reason they came about was because back in the day, the DOC was very, very strict when it first came to be. With like any good set of rules, you know, you make them real crazy and then you loosen them a little. So like if you made your wine in Chianti, but it didn't have 70% Sangiovese, like if it had 60% or something like this, then that winemaker's wine would be labeled Vino di Tavola, which is the lowest classification. But throughout the 90s, all of this changed along with the development of a new classification, which is IGT, which most Super Tuscans now fall in. And Super Tuscans sort of superseded all of this brouhaha around the classification system and often don't need it or don't seek it out because the quality of the wines are historically at such a high level. They built their reputation. They built the cultiness around it that they created their own category that doesn't necessarily need to be sort of lauded by the Italian government the same way Chianti Classico might be. But Super Tuscans in general are either based in the Sangiovese grape with some other varietals blended in, or they are the expressions of Bordeaux blends like Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Cab Franc. So it's like this totally different take on 
a Bordeaux blend planted in Tuscan soil. Sometimes they can be very rich, very bold. And also some of them can be very nuanced and very elegant. Hey guys, I'm Justin Anderson, co-owner of the hair care line DP Hue and Celebrity Hair Colors. Have you ever wondered what happens in a celebrity salon chair? Well, that's what this podcast, In the Chair with Justin Anderson, is all about. I'm literally recording while I'm coloring hair in real time, giving them their signature looks or going for something bold and new. All right, you guys, you're going to want to subscribe to In the Chair on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. I want you to be in the know when each new episode drops every single Friday. Keep it cool, and I'll talk to you soon. Anyway, the top areas to me to talk about when we talk about Tuscany and just to break it down a little bit is first, Brunella di Montalcino. So Tuscany is a big area. It's coastal. And then there's all these different subzones, right? 41 DOC, 11 DOCG plus Super Tuscans. Way too many areas to talk about. So I'm going to highlight probably the most famous, but also the most important when you want to start understanding the world of Tuscan wine. Brunella di Montalcino, it's located just south of Chianti and it's flanked by, I believe Florence is to the north. Anyway, so located just south of Chianti. And when I think about Brunella di Montalcino, I think of it as the shining jewel in the Tuscan crown. If Tuscany was a crown that was on the head of the princess of Italy. Anyway, the winemaking region is located around the town of Montalcino, aka like one of the most picturesque places. Talk about rolling hills, cypress trees, and stone castles. So Sangiovese reigns supreme. And this was the first wine, the first area to earn the DOCG classification in Italy. The DOCG says that Brunellos must age for four years before they're released. And if you release a Brunello di Montalcino Reserva, it must be held back for five years before it's released. These wines are beautiful expressions of Sangiovese. They're soft, they're elegant, they're velvety. And sometimes they have a good amount of texture, but the expression is absolutely next level. Now there is like a baby Brunello, which has an easier price point typically, which is the Rosso di Montalcino. And these are not DOCG, they are DOC. They're usually made from the same grapes, but they're more accessible when they're young. Sometimes they are higher acid, more fresh. It's kind of like when you have a Barolo and then you have Nebbiolo di Alba. It's like same idea. Sometimes it's the younger vines or it's a blend of a few different vineyards, but Rosso di Montalcino in a good year from a great producer are awesome. Drink it now. Have spaghetti and meatballs. It's just heavenly. Now, the hardest thing with Brunello is they're really expensive or can be, and also finding the bomb.com producers. Next up is Chianti. Chianti is probably the most famous region in Tuscany for a lot of people because, you know, it's like all that red checkered tablecloths with the Chianti bottles that are actually half baskets. But then everyone tells me those Chiantis give them headaches. Anyway, that is the Chianti classic. Like when you think Chianti, it's like, oh my God, no. I think Chianti kind of got a bad rap because of all of the production and some of the less savory and less awesome Chiantis that have been brought to market. But Mythbusters. Chianti is dope as long as you find the right ones. You can think of Chianti as being in two zones and it's a pretty big area, but one zone is Chianti and the other zone is Chianti Classico. And I think it's easy to kind of 
separate them into those two areas. The Chianti zone is larger and has more range. So like different altitudes, the soil type changes a lot. Depending on how close the growing areas are to the Arno River, the soil can differ from the deposits. Some areas are heavy in clay. So that is like Chianti and it's broken into seven subzones. And the rule among those subzones is that the wines must all be 70% Sangiovese and then they can have other indigenous varietals blended in. Two of these subzones are super well-regarded, Chianti Rufina and Chianti Colisinesi. So that's Chianti part one right? There's Chianti and Chianti Classico. And a lot of people think that Chianti Classico and Chianti, it was like different aging requirements. But anyway, Chianti Classico are the wines that has the symbol of the rooster. I don't know how many of you have had a Chianti Classico, but there's like this little black rooster that's near the top of the bottle, sort of on the little tape that goes around it. And the emblem of Chianti Classico is this black rooster, aka Gallo Nero. And it relates to a legend that was told about the use of roosters to settle a border dispute between warring provinces of Siena and Florence. The black rooster was the symbol of Florence and the white rooster back in the day represented Siena. It's clear who won that contest, right? The Black Rooster, Florence, (laughs) the crowd goes wild. I consider Chianti Classico to be where the best Chianti is from. It has nine DOCG communes, which are nicer than DOC. And there's a lot less excessive use of new oak. There's hardly any. It really expresses the purity of fruit that the region has come to be known of. And Chianti Classico must be made from 80% Sangiovese. The rest can be Colorino, Caneolo Nero, Cabernet Sauvignon, or Merlot. Chianti Classico is crazy. I will tell you one story I heard, but this is all hearsay. So there's a Chianti Classico producer, Labanchi, and they make a wine called La Trame. It's like three generations of women making wine in Chianti Classico. And when I first started buying this wine, it was labeled Chianti Classico. And then the name of the wine, La Trame, was written in cursive bigger. And then one year, all of a sudden, Chianti Classico was not in the label. And I asked, hey, what, what's going on? Why doesn't it say Chianti Classico anymore? And apparently (laughs) the government wanted them to increase the font size on Chianti Classico and decrease the size of the name of the wine, La Trame, and they refused to do it. So they took Chianti Classico. They were like, we don't need this shit. We're going to declassify it. It's just a fun story. I mean, good wine speaks for itself. And I think that's what's cool about wine and its evolution and what's been happening in the world of wine and investigating the growers and highlighting them. So shout out to Labanche. You guys are bomb.com. Okay. Last area, but definitely not least is Vino di Nobile di Montepulciano. Now, Montepulciano as a buzzword is a little bit confusing for people because it is also a grape varietal, which is a relative. It's like a variety of Sangiovese, but it's totally different. And When you have wine that's classified as Vino di Nobile di Montepulciano, this is referring to Sangiovese that is grown in the area around Montepulciano, which is inland in Tuscany. The wines are made from Sangiovese, but you go farther east and you come to a very famous area where Montepulciano, the grape, is grown. 
centered around the eastern city of Abruzzo. So confusing, yes, but we just broke it down, I think, in a really clean, classy way. These Sangiovese are really beautiful. To me, they often have a lot of value. One of my favorite producers in the area is this dope-ass couple, two women who make wine at Sanguinetto. Just stunning, stunning expressions of Sangiovese, vineyards that have never seen herbicides, never seen pesticides. Just absolutely bomb.com. For up-and-coming regions that for a long time didn't get any respect, but now are getting some highlights, Marema, which is very south on the coast of Tuscany. And apparently it used to be some like TBD, marshlandy sort of wilding place, but now it's being cultivated in terraced vineyards at different altitudes, the influence of the ocean. Used to be wild and swampy, now it's getting classy and sassy. I love this area. I so am into Ampelea, which is one of the winemakers from there. We have talked a lot about them in the shop recently because all the wines are here but they're such beautiful areas for the expression of terroir and also for the expression of a different side of Tuscany. They're growing like Alicante Nera, which is related to Grenache and Cab Franc, and it's super cool. Anyway, that was the super fast, quick intro rundown BuzzFeed of Tuscany. The who, the what, the where, the when, the why, the how. There's so much more to Tuscany that you could peel back the layers of this onion, but I'm going to let Tuscany just settle in the dust for a minute and then we'll investigate it further in the future. Get your bowl of pasta, get some peachy, cook some lentils, get some Sangiovese. I think Chianti often has a bad wrap. You got to get down with the goodies. There are good winemakers in Tuscany who are doing amazing stuff in an organic, natural way. And we are proud supporters of these people. Anyway, the Tuscan lowdown from Helen Johannesson, your host of Wine Face, the podcast, bringing you the 411 about wine. Everything you need to know, snackable little bites. Listen, if you liked this podcast today, please rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, tell your grandma. She needs to know. She wants to know. I am so thankful for you for listening to me about Tuscany. If you want more information, go to helenswines.com or follow us on Instagram. And that is it. Thank you.